the most serious type of felony is a category A felony. And that would include first degree murder. It would include first degree kidnapping, sexual assault, production of child pornography amongst others. A category A felony subjects an individual to a maximum punishment if it's first degree murder of death. Otherwise, category A felonies are punished by a penalty of up to life in prison without the possibility of parole or life in prison with the possibility of parole. casings and it wasn't long after the murder of Mr. Adams where a guy by the name of Kevin Wright, 32 years of age, appeared at a nearby fire station suffering with a gunshot wound to, a, to his abdomen. Now, what authorities are going to allege to have happened was Wyeth and Lucci along with fellow gang members were riding in rival territory where they opened fire on rivals. They're gonna say rivals returned fire killing Mr. Adams. During the escape, Mr. Adams' body was ejected from the vehicle after authorities alleged Wyeth and Lucci and the cohorts in the car realized that he was shot in the head and shot dead. So, this shit is just so far-fetched. I kind of just wanted to put this video up to see what y'all think. Uh, we're kind of wishing the best for Wyeth and Lucci. Right now, looking real murky. It looks like the prosecutor in the case, Kara Convery, is very uh, confident that she's probably going to get a conviction in this case as his bail was denied. And she pretty much laid out the groundwork for that specific case. So, I'm going to think they probably have some kind of video evidence or something like that. But y'all get in the comment box. Y'all let me know what y'all think. It's your boy Popola. Y'all make sure y'all follow me on Twitter or Instagram. P-O-P underscore A-L-O-T. And we're going to be back with this real shit. It's the mob. 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 Ties. Prostitution is legal throughout the state of Nevada, except for Clark County, where Las Vegas is located, and Washoe County, which is where Reno is located. A lot of people come to Las Vegas and they're under the false impression that prostitution is legal everywhere. That's not the case. However, for a first time charge involving prostitution, we're often able to get those charges reduced to something like a trespass charge or even dismissed. It's not uncommon that we can get those charges dismissed. So 
If you have found yourself in a situation where you thought prostitution was legal or otherwise you got arrested by an undercover law enforcement officer posing as a prostitute, call us at 702-DEFENSE. We'll talk about the facts of your case and we'll see how we can get your charges reduced or dismissed. Hey, what's up? This your boy, Big Man. You already know what it is, man. So let's get right to it. Okay, so today we gonna be talking about Fabio Foreign. Now, Fabio, man, it looks like he done ran into some trouble. It looks like he was in New Jersey, minding his business, and then the long arm of the law caught him. Now, I can't say that he was minding his business because from the story, it sounds pretty crazy. It sounds like Fabio Foreign was getting into it with the law immediately, like as soon as they stopped him and started talking to him, it seemed like Fabio Forum was on one. Now, for those of you who haven't figured out yet, Fabio Forum got arrested. Now, the story is pretty crazy, and before we get to the specifics, do me a favor. Make sure you hit that like button, make sure you hit that subscribe button, and man, let's get it. Alright, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about this Fabio Foreign situation. Mm-mm-mm. So it's looking like Fabio Foreign might be doing a little time right when he was having a little bit of success in the rap game. Now you might be asking me, what do you mean? Now Fabio Foreign is most known for being a collaborator with Pop Smoke, you know, being a collaborator with Drake, being a collaborator with a lot of big names, Nas. Like, he's got some, some joints under his belt, man. And it looked like he was he was on the ups because he just dropped a song called Self Made that was doing relatively well on YouTube, right? Well, Fabio Forn, I guess he ran into like a random traffic stop or it went from a traffic stop to a uh, jaywalking ticket to a weapons charge, man. So let's get into the story. So Fabio Forn was in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and it looked like things went all bad when an officer approached him. Now, from the story that's being put out there by several different reports, it went like this. Now, the story starts off like this. It says, A loaded handgun fell from his jacket as rapper Fabio Forn fought Fort Lee police who nabbed him during a foot chase near the George Washington Bridge, authorities say. Maxie Rouse III, who's Fabio Forn, allegedly left his car running and basically just left it in a no parking zone all disrespectful like while he went into a city bank last night around 7.30. Now this is according to somebody named Captain Ricky Merkovic and it sounds like, you know, basically Fabio Foreign and folks who have never been to New York and the Northeast like that, man, people do this all the time. They'll leave their car running in the front of a business that they're going inside and block all the traffic and everything, man. It's like a common thing. And most people wouldn't understand. I know the first time I seen it, I was like, man, you're just going to leave your car all disrespectful-like? And it looked like Fabio Foreign, according to this report, was on that type of time, right? Now, a Sergeant Howard Ginsburg requested that Riles' driver's license as he approached the vehicle and asked whether he was getting a ticket. Okay, so basically what they're saying here is, Fabio Foreign, after leaving the city bank, 
was going back to his car, and that's when the officers asked for for his information, you know, and started, and then Fabio Ford replied asking if he was going to get a ticket. Now, they're saying that instead of complying, Fabio Ford simply walked away, and the sergeant stayed with the running vehicle while backup officers uh, tracked down uh, jaywalking Riles a block away. So they're saying that Fabio Ford, after the, the officer asked him for his license, once he, it was, he was sure that it was Fabio Ford going to that car, he asked him for his license, and Fabio Ford just, you know, brushed him off and walked away. And they're saying that a block away, somebody else, you know, started to come, like backup officers or whatnot. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. So, they're saying that the officer that came up as backup tried to intercept Fabio Ford and told him, Hey, man, could you stop? I want to speak to you. And Fabio Ford just basically kept it pushing, man. He was like, Nah, man, I'm walking. So, he's walking away from his car. He's walking away from the officer who originally asked him for his information when he saw it was his car. And... He's walking away from the officers who are trying to intercept him. And he's like, nah, man. So he asked him, the officer allegedly asked him one more time, like, hey, man, could you stop? And he said Fabio Ford looked at him, ignored him, and continued to walk away and started headed towards this spot called the Modern Luxury Apartments on Park Ave. Now, then they said they tried to grab, well, the way it's written, it says the officer grabbed him in the parking lot. And does it, it, it's misspelled. He, they're saying the officer tried to grab him in the parking lot. And as they tried to grab him, a loaded uh, 25 caliber handgun fell from Fabio Ford's waistband. And the officer and the officer noticed as it was falling and it hit the ground that there was a defaced serial number on the weapon. NRS 574.105 has to do with regulation of mistreatment of police dogs. And that could include interfering with an animal handler or taunting or teasing a police dog, which is a category D felony which could subject you to up to four years in state prison. If you disable or kill a police animal, you're looking at a category C felony with up to five years in state prison and a $10,000 fine. In February of 2019, Florida rappers Wine W. and Wine W. Portland were put in prison for allegedly staging a drive-by shooting which killed rappers Wine W. Sack Chaser and Wine W. Julie. According to police, on the night of October 26, 2018, shortly after leaving the recording studio, Wine W. Millie, as well as Wine W. Borland, gunned down their two best friends and shot up their vehicle, making it seem as if a drive-by shooting was the result of their deaths. After Wine W. Millie and Wine W. Borland's arrest on February 13th, their personal legal battles began. As the legal battles played out while they were in prison, their side of the story had publicly been released. 
YNW Melly and YNW Borland claim that on the night of October 26th, as they had been driving around, shots had been fired at their vehicle while in a drive-by shooting, which ultimately led to Sack, Chaser, and Juvie's deaths. After taking their friends to the hospital, they had died shortly later. Looking at the evidence released by the police, there's been multiple instances where some of the information provided was questionable. For example, both YNW members claim that they were victims in a drive-by shooting, but in the area they claim that it happened, no shots were reported. They also claim that the shots had killed their friends and shortly after they drove them to the hospital. But looking at cell phone records, it had shown that after the reported time of the drive-by shooting, YNW Melly and YNW Borland had driven around for hours. Police believe it's most likely that they staged a story during this time and used this time to shoot up their vehicle and stage the drive-by shooting. Again, another piece of evidence that was questionable was the bullet trajectory analysis done by the police. By analyzing the trajectory of the rounds that had been fired into the car, you could see the bullets traveled from right to left, which contradicts the victim's left to right wounds. Not only this, but a 40 caliber shell casing had been discovered on the floorboard of the left rear passenger seat where YNW Melly had been sitting. The exact same shell cases had also been found at the crime scene. This influx of information has led to a lot of speculation from YNW Melly's fanbase. People are unsure whether YNW Melly would murder his two lifelong childhood friends for no reason. No motive has been clearly discussed and many people don't believe he did it. Looking at the information and the evidence though, it almost contradicts this. Shell casings found where he was sitting, no shots in the reported area, and bullet trajectory analysis that shows the path of the bullets didn't match the wounds of the victims. It all seems strange and can easily lead to speculation from many people. Over the past few years, as the case has been investigated and fought in court, new events have surfaced this year. YNW Melly has been fighting his case frequently this year, but it came to a stop in early April of 2020, when he had gotten COVID-19. He and his legal team had asked to be released on house arrest, but this request was denied. The pandemic has halted a lot of progress when it comes to hearings and court dates for YNW Melly's case. His next court date is being held on January 28th to discuss Bond. YNW Borland was released from prison May 23rd, 2020 on Bond and was placed on house arrest. Many people believe that YNW Borland's release will lead to YNW Melly's release soon, but he is still in prison as of today. This case has a lot of people torn on YNW Melly and YNW Borland's innocence. Maybe they did it. Maybe they didn't, but as 2021 goes on, more information is bound to be released, so make sure if you guys want to stay up to date on any more news, you hit that subscribe button. Let me know what you guys think about the case down below. And feel free to check out our other content. We post twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Thank you guys for watching. Yeah, that was torture, but it built something in me that I hadn't had before then. Uh, it gave me a drive. It gave me a, a, a commitment that that I had never discovered in myself as a as a 21 year old. And and let me just say how it was so easy for me to get caught up in the drug selling when I came home in 1998.
because that's what the culture was doing. When I came home in 1998, Master P had just dropped an a, 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 a album called Ghetto Dope. Ghetto Dope. Me, 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 me crack like this. And it taught you how to cook crack from step one to step 10. So when I came home after being gone from 91 to 98 and I come back and I look into the black community, everybody's selling dope. The dope man image is what the girls want, is what the preachers like. Everybody like the dope man image. So everybody's selling dope. They rapping about it. So, man, I just get in line with the culture. I get in line with the culture because the culture almost made it like it it was logical to sell dope over working because the rewards were so great, right? So many black children of our culture followed that mon that bullshit, nigga hustling, selling dope. Me, 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 me crack like this. So we went from that to trapping to now drilling and killing. So the culture reshaped me. After all the good that TYC had done, my culture reshaped me in the pimping and the drug dealing. I went back to robbing, nigga snatching purses, all that shit, nigga, because that's what the culture was doing. Executor painted a picture of Campbell as a violent felon, not a well-intentioned media figure. He has over 20 arrests and two felony convictions, but his attorney says he put those problems in his past and is now out to help others. I think um, what's made Daryl and people know him as Taxstone so popular is that he's able to reach audiences that traditionally people can't. At Montgomery's request, the judge approved a bail package for half a million dollars that also includes house arrest. As for Troy Ave, he remains free on bail on attempted murder and weapons possession charges. In lower Manhattan, I'm Lisa Evers, Fox 5 News. The beast known as the Grim Reaper, as I like to call him, Lil Reese. 40% of all people mentioned by Lil Reese are actually now packs. They're dead. Did Lil Dirk get choked out by Lil Reese? If you FaceTime with the shy rat Grim Reaper himself, it's basically like an interview for the afterlife. Lil Reese has fought a charge, or not really a charge, he was arrested on indirect contempt of court. Lil Reese has been let back out on the streets by the Chicago PD. Nobody is safe. Lil Reese, aka the Chirac Grim Reaper, is one of the most feared individuals in modern day hip-hop. The 27-year-old from Chicago, Illinois started to gain national notoriety after he was featured on Chief Keef's I Don't Like back in 2012, which eventually peaked at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. This rapid success resulted in Lil Reese signing a major record deal with Def Jam. But as the years went on, Lil Reese started being known less for rapping and more for his various activities in the streets. This was mainly due to DJ Academics and his constant coverage of the Chicago drill hip-hop scene. Academics made multiple videos throughout the years on Lil Reese. 
and portrayed Reese as one of the most dangerous rappers in Chicago. Academics was even the one who came up with Lil Reese's nickname, the Grim Reaper, since he claimed that Reese's Twitter page is more like an obituary, because whenever Lil Reese would mention one of his ops in a tweet, they would somehow pass away soon after. But now, with all this worldwide attention on Lil Reese, the Chicago Police Department are watching him more than ever. Curious on what Lil Reese got caught up in over the years? Well then, we've got you covered. Here's an exclusive inside look at the criminal history of Lil Reese. Lil Reese has been living in Southside Chicago his whole life and was apparently already affiliated with the BDs by the age of five. The BD said Reese claims is Lamron. For those of you who don't know, Lamron is normal spelled backwards, which is named after their main block, 64th and Normal. Lamron later came together with another BD set in Inglewood called Taytown and formed 300. Almost every BD set in the Inglewood area of Chicago claims 300, such as Chief Keef from O'Block and Fredo Santana from Front Street. Rest in peace. Lou Reese's involvement with the streets has unfortunately led to some run-ins with the law, with the earliest documented arrest happening in early 2010, when Lou Reese was just 17 years old. The details of this arrest are close to none since Reese was still a minor at the time, but we do know for sure that Lou Reese was arrested and charged for being involved in some type of burglary. It's unclear how much time he actually spent behind bars, but it was later revealed a few years later by various media outlets such as XXL that Lil Reese ended up pleading guilty to the burglary charges and was given two years of probation. During his time on probation, Reese seemed to stay out of legal trouble since there was no public document showing that he was arrested during his two years of probation. It was also during this time that Lil Reese started to take rap more seriously and ended up making several songs with Chief Keef which resulted in both of them having a legendary impact on the Chicago drill hip-hop scene. After Lil Reese was off probation, he ended up signing a solid record deal with Def Jam, which made most fans think that Reese would take this money and move away from the streets of Chicago to a place such as LA, so he could stay out of trouble and focus on music. But, unfortunately, this wasn't the case, and Lil Reese continued to stay in Chicago. Lil Reese's second arrest took place in April 2013, just a few months after he signed his record deal with Def Jam. While police were patrolling the South Wells area of Chicago, an officer found a man sleeping in a parked vehicle on the side of the road. After taking a second glance at the sleeping man, the officer recognized that it wasn't just any man, it was Lil Reese, the Chirac Grim Reaper. 
The officer then began to run Lou Reese's name in the system and found that he had a warrant for his arrest in Champaign County, Illinois. This warrant for Reese stems from an incident that occurred back in February 2012, when Lou Reese allegedly attacked a female after she was trying to remove him and his 20 other friends from her apartment. One of the witnesses of this altercation filmed it, and later posted it online in October of 2012, after Lil Reese was starting to make a name for himself in hip-hop. Once the video surfaced online, someone then made a police report about the situation, which led to the police putting a warrant out for Lil Reese's arrest. After the officer- Now I'm here is because of that job. You feel what I'm saying? Also. So, because my chief, uh, Chief Labot, shout out to him, he actually made us go to mandatory budget meetings, right? Mm. So I never wanted to go. This is my second one. I had to go, and he made us go, like, before going to our shift. So mm. before going home. So we did a whole shift, and afterwards, we had to stay to go to the budget meeting. Budget meeting. And what's going on in the budget in meeting? In a budget meeting, it's a guy. He's teaching you about how to budget your money and how to, you know, kind of keep the money coming in and save it and put it in the stock market, everything, right? Oh, I so didn't personal know. budget. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's he's you. a it's a black dude. He pull mm. up, he pull up in that joint. He got the, the icy gold rings. He got his wedding ring is gold. The ring on the other side, gold. Cool looking dude. OG. Yeah. Got a nice little suit on. When he step in, he say, uh, hey, he like, uh, what's going on in the stock market today, guys? And no, nobody raised their hand. He said, if I was in a room for a millionaire, everybody's hand would have been raised. Mm. I was like, damn, he got me. He got me. Like, I ain't want to be there. And I was like, hmm, he got me. I'm, right. I'm tuning in now. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like the messenger. Like, we don't, before you know, like, you don't really know, like, it's not the, the message, it's the messenger. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't buying into him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But when he said that, I'm buying in. I'm ready. I'm like, yo, this is... Jay-Z talking now. Right. So he had that swag about himself. So I, I bought in. So long story short, he goes into talking about uh, credit and, you know, how his son, he's buying a house for his son. Like, not buying it for his son. His son is buying a house. He's helping him. Mm. And he's helping him get his first car and all this stuff. And he's just going, to, I'm telling him how, which cars to get. He has the option of anything. And I was like, how do you got all these options? Right. You know, he can just, I, I went to the lot. I was like, what can I get? Like, <laughs> right, you know what right, I mean? Right. So he basically introduced me to the credit game. So what he did was he started saying all these things that I didn't know were possibilities. So when he tells me this, um, I'll just like, I'm vulnerable. I got like a 400 credit score. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I got a 400 credit score, bro. Like I talked to him after I said, I got a 400 credit score. And what do I do to switch up my sweat? Like, how can I start building it? And he was just like, he told me exactly what to do. And when I tell you I did it verbatim, so I'm going to tell you what he told me. He said, he said, um, go ahead and uh, get you a secure credit card. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where you self-guarantee it. And it's going, it's going to probably be $200. Right. He said they're going to guarantee approve you because it's to help you build your credit. Right. And he said, now have that for six months. Make sure you keep it under 30%. Pay it off early. Let it hit and pay it off early. It's going to reflect to your thing that you're using a revolving credit, right? And he said, after six months, they're going to send you an unsecured one. And that's exactly what happened. Absolutely. And they did it. And then they also increased my limit on the secured one. Mm -hmm. So I was like, 
I'm listening. I'm I'm find out everything to do with credit because because right. my credit shot up crazy. So my credit shot up crazy. I got a credit card. Now did he open the door? That's my man. Okay. So yeah, my credit shot up crazy. I go like, all right, dude, this dude, he got me hyped. I'm like, I gotta find out everything about credit. So he basically turned me up. Like, so I'm finding out about credit and now I got all of these abilities to do things. And I'm like, damn, um, I was tripping for years. Like I should have been doing this. So this like- How old were you at this point? I was like 25. 25. I'm 31 now. So that's what, before I, right before I jumped into this entrepreneurship swag, because I was like, all right, I, and then I seen, after I, I met this guy, I did what he said, I stayed with him to jail. But then I seen like a Steve Harvey commercial, I know everybody's seen it, when he's talking about, you never going, if you don't jump, you're never gonna be able to fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, when yeah, I tell you that, he spoke right to me. He spoke right to me, bro, so I, I was like, all right, I seen that, and then I just decided to jump, I ain't had no plan. So now my credit is up, right? I'm, uh, I'm like, you all right. you say jump, you just quit the job. I just quit the job, I just quit the jail. I'm talking about, I was out of there, like, I, really? two, I gave him a two-week notice, and I ain't had no plan. I lied to him and told him I was going to go to school just so it sounded better, just in case I did have to go back, right? <laughs> so, What I was your living situation at this point? I was living, uh, I was in an apartment. I was, always got, I was always good. I was financially literate to a point, but I just didn't know about credit. Right. So I had some money. So according to like people with nine to fives, I was pretty straight. Gotcha. So I never was like, you know, struggling. Which is why anything. you don't have the habits now. Like you don't necessarily, um, like you're not the flashy guy. Nah, for you know what? what? I under I understand it. So I always been like, I'm, I'm something wrong with me. That's what it is. <laughs> There's something wrong with me. So look, I never really have vices and stuff. I don't smoke or drink. I never have. I never been drunk. I never been high. Right. Mm. So this also accumulates to women as well. I don't have bad habits. Giving spending money on women. Yeah. So I was like, bro. So before when I'm watching the Steve Harvey thing, I'm like, why am I not rich? I was like, I don't got nothing holding me back from being rich, bro. Like, why am I not rich? So I, I just, you know, just started invent, like thinking about like, I can do this. Like I started believing in myself, which is clearly the, the all you need to do really to be For successful. Sure. You believe that you actually can do it. Cause we hear no so much. We'd be like, bro, mm, nah. that's a bar that, people, that probably just went over most people's heads. Man. Like, what, like yo, the core foundation is the belief that yo, I can, I can make some money. Right. I can, I can be rich. That's it. <laughs> and once I started believing that, I went out and started going out of full throttle. So I quit. I was like, no plan. I said I'm gonna just drive Uber and Lyft in the meantime. Police don't necessarily have to have probable cause to initiate some type of casual encounter with an individual. So let's just say you're walking on the street and the police suspect that you may be loitering or engaging in some type of narcotics transaction. They can come up to you. They can start to engage in some discourse. They can ask you if you consent to a search of their person. And if you say yes, all bets are off. They can search you. So it's very important when law enforcement is endeavoring to initiate some type of casual encounter on the street that you simply say, I would like to go on my way. I don't wish to speak to you. I don't consent to any searches if they ask for permission. If police have concern for their safety, they can do what's called an external pat down of your person to check for weapons. That's essentially all they can do. However, in the course of doing that pat down, 
If the police feel what they reasonably believe to be drugs, such as a balloon of heroin or hypodermic needle, they are then allowed to reach in and seize that item. If you refuse to consent to let the police search you, and they want to do a full-on search of everything in your pockets or everything in your purse or your backpack, then they either need a warrant or probable cause. And quite often, the police really have neither a warrant nor probable cause. And this, again, underscores the importance of not consenting to let them search. Because as long as you don't consent to let them search and they don't have probable cause, then they really only have two options. One is they can just let you go. And the other is they can search you illegally, in which case we can go later and challenge the search and most likely get the evidence thrown out of court. Here in Nevada, an illegal search of your person can be challenged by way of a motion to suppress evidence. If the motion to suppress evidence is granted because the police unlawfully searched your person, the evidence that is recovered would be thrown out and the case against you would most likely be dismissed. So often I talk to people who consented to a search in this situation and I ask, why did you agree to allow the police to search your person or your backpack or your purse or your car? And they say, well, I thought if I refused consent, they would do it anyway, and I would be in even more trouble. And if they're going to search anyway, let them search anyway. As long as you didn't consent, then we always have the right to go into court and challenge the search. And if we're successful, get the evidence thrown out of court. But once you consent, all bets are off. You've given up your rights, and you've really taken away our power as defense lawyers later to go back and challenge the search and get the evidence excluded. If counts use the same or similar guideline, and if that guideline is included in the list at 3D1.2D, you're going to apply the guidelines as if for a single count application. So as I just mentioned in the example that we used earlier, where you have four or five counts of drug trafficking, what you have done is you've aggregated all of the quantity and used one guideline one time. That is probably one of the most important things to remember about grouping under Rule D. You want to make sure that when you have determined that these multiple counts are groupable under this rule, that you are applying the aggregate quantity, the aggregate conduct, the aggregate behavior of the defendant in one guideline at one time. That's right. We can't reiterate that enough, applying the one guideline one time at Rule D. And since we as trainers like uh, visuals so much, let's just look at a visual of Rusty's example of the grouping of the drug counts, what that might look like. Here we have four counts of drugs, and uh, we've got them separated out into their each count box. What you're going to do when you group at Rule D, remember you apply one guideline one time, and the offense level for that group of counts is going to be based on the aggregate. So whatever 
quantity uh, of drugs is associated with each of those counts of conviction is simply going to be added up and plugged into that one guideline for one application. Exactly. We're going to get started with our fact patterns now, and these fact patterns are going to deal with grouping under Rule D, and so that we can further demonstrate the analysis to you. So in our first fact pattern, we have a defendant who is convicted of, in count one, transportation of a stolen motor vehicle. The defendant stole a car with a fair market value of $20,000. After, after the defendant stole this car, he transported the vehicle across state lines, after which he stripped off parts, which he then sold to an unknowing individual at a body shop in a neighboring state for $5,000. That comprises the conduct in count two, transportation of stolen goods, where again he sold the parts for $5,000. Now both of these counts go to guideline 2B1.1. Rachel, why don't we talk about the analysis of how these guidelines would work for the grouping of multiple counts? Sure. In keeping with the exception that we gave you uh, before we started our discussion of each of these rules, we tell you to look at Rule D first. So the first thing we're going to do with these two counts of conviction is look at 3D1.2D and see are these offenses that are listed as being groupable at Rule D. And we see that when we look at our list at 3D1.2D, they are listed. 2B1.1, both of these offenses go to that guideline, and they're both listed at 3D1.2D. You'll also notice, as we talked about, that these are the types of offenses that are subject to the expanded relevant conduct that we were talking about earlier. And when you apply relevant conduct correctly, you've already, in essence, grouped these two counts together. So the application of the guidelines for these two individual counts will be the one guideline, one time, 2B1.1. The expanded relevant conduct is going to include both of these loss amounts, and the aggregate amount of loss is going to be applied to that one guideline one time. So your total amount of loss is $25,000 and whatever the offense level calculation for that aggregate amount is, that's going to be the offense level for those two counts of conviction. Now let's look at our second fact pattern to have another illustration of grouping at Rule D. In this particular fact pattern, we have again two counts of conviction. Actually, we have more than two counts of conviction. We have uh, two uh, different scenarios here. We have 10 counts of violation of uh, 18 U.S.C. 1956. It's a money laundering statute. The corresponding guideline for this violation is going to be 2S1.1. And the total value of funds laundered uh, through these 10 counts is 2.5 million. Now, the second group of counts that we're looking at is counts 11 through 15. Uh, this is a violation of 18 U.S.C. 1957, a different money laundering statute for which the corresponding guideline is 2S1.2. 
And the total value of funds laundered for these counts uh, is $150,000. So, Krista, how would we uh, go about an analysis for grouping of these counts? Well, in order to keep consistency, the place we're first going to look is at 3D1.2D to see if these are types of offenses that are based on an aggregate. And if we look at 3D1.2D, we'll find that 2S1.1 and 2S1.2 are both listed as groupable under Rule D. And this fact pattern is a little bit different than the one that we just discussed.